Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come to your word this morning. Thank you that you've given us your word, that we can hear uh, your voice and know the way that you have uh, revealed yourself and, and made a way for us to be reconciled with you. And we pray that, uh, pray that you'd speak through me now. I pray you'd open our ears so that we would understand and that uh, you would increase our love for you and that you would glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've just joined us in this series, welcome. Um, we are making our way through Deuteronomy, the book of the law. This book where it's, most of it is essentially this single sermon that Moses gives to the people of Israel as they are about to enter the promised land. And the first three chapters of this book are essentially a recount of the history of Israel after they left Mount Horeb and went up towards the promised land the first time and then saw the giants in the land and got scared and then said, we're not entering the land. And then the Lord sent them out into the wilderness. And so we pick up here in chapter two with just that. Verse one, them turning away from Kadesh Barnea on the southern side of the promised land and entering the wilderness when the Lord says, you will go out there and for this time, those who were this evil generation who did not enter the promised land, they will spend these 38, 40 years until they die to cleanse Israel of the people who would not have faith in the Lord. And then the Lord says, after that has happened, after about 38 years, he says, you have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward but let's pause there for a second. Because how do you think the Israelites, this generation who has just come out of the wilderness with all of their fathers and their former leaders have now died, how do you think that they are feeling as they approach this promised land with all the history of what's gone before? I mean, consider this. Their fathers believed when they saw the promised land, the promised land, that the Lord had led them out of Egypt only to be destroyed by giants. Their fathers also said that the people there are greater and taller than we are. Their fathers said the cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And not only that, but their fathers also saw and told of the sons of the Anakim, these giants who were there. And, and now that they're gone... It's now our job to go into that land and inherit it. What are they thinking with all of this history? All of that they know is that this is a scary and very powerful place that we are supposed to go in there, where we haven't had a place of our own since before Egypt. The only two men who still trusted in the Lord after the spies returned originally were Caleb and Joshua, of course, Caleb and his family were to later enter the promised land, as was Joshua, because the Lord uh, had looked upon uh, their faith and because they believed and trusted him, they wouldn't pass away in the, in the wilderness. But apart from them, all of the people of Israel still are new. So if you were Moses, what would you say to them? What could they possibly hear that they would be filled with courage enough to enter this land that their fathers were terrified of? 
Well, here's my thesis to this sermon and my proposed answer to the question. That Moses would show them that God, as a kind and faithful father, would speak through Moses so as to build their faith, that they would trust the Lord their God and enter the land knowing that he is able to do all that he had promised them that he would do. And I'm going to tell you two truths that he made known to them to do this. The first one is that he, the Lord, has been and he still is and he will continue to be Israel's provider as they enter the land. We see this in verse 7. It says, For the Lord your God has blessed you. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites who've come out of the wilderness. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Through the whole 40 years, the Lord their God never left them. He provided manna so that they would be able to eat each day through opposition from the nations and civil unrest within the camp, through disobedience and still lack of faith. Even after they came out and were under God's anger in the wilderness, they still would not turn to him at times. And yet the Lord never left them. He sustained them there. He protected them at every single point, slowly but surely turning their hearts back to him where they would be willing to follow him, even in, even in this unknown, as the Lord said, you've been here long enough, now turn. We don't exactly know where or why he's told us to do that, but we trust him now, so we're going to go. Thank God that they had leadership of Moses, Caleb, Joshua to lead them in that. And the Lord would, of course, continue to provide for them. He says, just as I have promised and provided all throughout the wilderness, so I will continue to provide. How is he going to continue to provide? Well, it's uh, not exactly as we would expect. I think as, as often happens, the Lord doesn't always provide as we desire or expect him to. In fact, he says this time the way that I will provide for you is through the Edomites, who, of course, Jacob being Israel, being the brother of Esau, clashed a fair bit when they were young. And now their descendants are going to be the ones who would provide for them as they enter and journey up the wilderness. With that history, it's no surprise that the Edomites would be afraid of the Israelites. I mean, you consider that the Israelites are now effectively these 40-year-old desert nomads who the last real long contact they had with civilization was when they defeated a global superpower in the Middle East of Egypt, walking out an entire nation, pillaging and plundering the Egyptians for all of the time that they had kept them in slavery and captivity, and the Lord up and left, destroying them with plagues. No wonder that the Edomites are now scared. This is the first nation that they've come to. Are they, are they finally, they built up enough courage, they kind of come and destroy us too? But, of course, that wasn't the Israelites' plan. For the Lord said, you're not to enter that land because I've given it to them. And praise God that he stilled the fear that the Israelites had and allowed them to pass around the Edomites with the Edomites here even being the ones from whom they would purchase food and water. 
It says in verse 6, You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat. You shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. A few things to note from this. Sometimes the way that the Lord provides for us is actually through giving us practical skills that we can earn a wage and then go and purchase the supplies that we need. Yes, the Lord may miraculously provide out of nothing without us having to do anything for us, but that's not always the case. Um, As here, it says the reason that they shall purchase food and money is for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. You are skilled people. You can do things, build things, act services with your hands that you can earn money and then go to the Edomites and purchase what you need. Also take heart that I think we can trust that the Lord will give us these practical skills at the right time. We need not fear, well, neither do I have anything of my own. I don't even have the practical skills to earn. Somehow the Lord will provide, just as he has here, though it may not be in a way that was expected. And also note that we need not fear rejection from the people that we may go to to ask for help. Because if the Lord has called us to ask these people for help, he's able to turn their hearts so that they would indeed grant us the help and the provision that we need. Just as he turned the hearts of the Edomites who were in terror of the Israelites so that they would be the ones who would provide for them. The Lord is not distant from our troubles. Because of his constancy with the Israelites, they never lack anything all throughout the time in the wilderness. And now that the Lord is bringing them out of this 40 years, that's not changing. He's continuing to provide for them even now. Although, where are they going, this land of the giants? And the giants don't look like they're leaving anytime soon. So this brings us to our second point, the second truth that I believe that Moses has spoken, or the Lord has spoken through Moses to the Israelites to grant them courage. That just as the Lord is able to and has protected the other nations as they have entered the new lands, so he will be with and protect the Israelites as they also enter Canaan. And he does this by effectively saying, my work in the nations is an example to you Israelites of how I will also bring you into the land. Now, just before we talk uh, and get to this text, a bit of history on the giants. Uh, The giants will continue to come up over the next few weeks, so good that we kind of have an understanding of where all these funny words are coming from. Uh, In this text, we encounter the Anakim. Verse 10, the Imim formerly lived there, a people great many and tall as the Anakim. Now, the Anakim were descendants of the Nephilim, and the Nephilim were giants from back in Genesis chapter 6. They, uh, the Nephilim is a Hebrew word. It means violent or causing to fall. This is a people who are very violent, causing you to fall if you approach them, as in they're killing you. And these are the descendants from these giants who were back then. Next one. When the original spies were sent to check out the promised land before the 40 years in the wilderness, they reported back to the people of the Nephilim, that is, 
verse uh, 28 of chapter 1, it says, Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there. We've seen that. We've seen the sons of the Anakim, who are the sons of the Nephilim. There are giants in the land and we're terrified of them. They said, when we saw them, we felt like grasshoppers in comparison. And they said that the giants, they thought the same about them. They thought that the Israelites were like grasshoppers. Other place where we see giants come up, David and Goliath. So Goliath was of the Rephaim, uh, which is another race of giants. May or may not be connected with the Nephilim of Genesis 6. And then we also hear in this text of the Imim, uh, literally the dreaded ones. These are terrible men. Uh, they were another tribe of giants. And like the Anakim, it says they were counted as the Rephaim, as tall and great as the Anakim. All these different tribes of giants, very scary and terrible people. Okay, back to the text. Verse 8. So we went on away from our brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, away from the Arabah road from Elath and Ezion Geber. And we turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar to the people of Lot for a possession. The Emim formerly lived there, a people great and many, and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also counted as Rephaim, but the Moabites call them Emim. That's verse 8 to 11. So note the structure of that pericope. First, it establishes the people. Who? The Moabites, descendants of Moab. Moab was the son of Lot. It establishes the land. The land in focus here is particularly Ar. It's a city on the northern border of Moab. So we've got uh, the Promised Land and the Dead Sea and the River Jordan and then the Edomites and the Moabites. And Ar is on the northern border of Moab. This is the territory immediately east of the lower end of the Dead Sea. And it says that the Israelites are not to go into that land because they've given Ah to the people of Lot. And because Moab descended from Lot, he's saying, this belongs to the Moabites. Don't take it from them. And then finally, it says how, how they came to occupy the land. The land was given to them, it says, from the Lord. I have given them this land. Where, where are we going with this? Where is the writer of Deuteronomy going with this? What it says next is that this land used to be occupied by giants. The land where the Moabites are currently in used to be occupied by giants. Can you see what the message is that is being shouted to the Israelites at this time? Here is a nation, the Moabites, who were given land by God, land that used to have giants in them, and now the giants are gone and the Moabites are safely settled in the land and the Lord is saying other nations cannot come and take the land off them. This is a huge reminder and picture of how the Lord has worked in another nation as proof that what the Lord has promised to the Israelites, 
to do. That is, bring them into the promised land filled with giants safely and protect them is and can happen. See how kind the Lord is even in this, that not only did he want to bring his people into the promised land filled with giants, but he also wanted to encourage them and build their faith by showing them how he has done this already with others so that they would believe him and trust him and know that he can bring them in to protect them there as well. And then finally the writer here says in verse 12, the Horites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and settled in their place as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. The writer says, just as it happened in Moab, so it happened with people of Esau for the Horites. And then remember that this text, this book, is being collated, collected for us after these events have happened. Or at least the writer has gone in and inserted his own little commentary here. It says, verse, um, verse 12, as Israel did to the land of their possession. In the narrative, the Israel haven't, Israelites haven't inherited the promised land yet. They're, they're still in Moab. They're still going towards that border. But the author inserts into here, as Israel did. Why does he say that? Why does he give, this, give us this external conclusion, this external commentary into the narrative? Well, isn't he intentionally pointing this out to us, the reader, that what the Lord promised and what the Lord showed, the Lord did for the Israelites. He did bring the Israelites into the land. He did build their faith so that they had the courage and they did come in and settle in the place of the land, removing the giants from it. I tell you that the Lord was Israel's protector back then. The Lord was Israel's provider on the way to the promised land. And he is still their provider and their protector today. For us, his people, the church, he is still our provider and he is still our protector. Where do we see this any more clearly than in Christ? The one who is our provider and he is our protector as we come before the Lord in our sin. Christ has taken away our sin where we originally, you know, called by God but rejected him, rejected him in faith as the Israelites originally did as they came up to the, to the land. In fact, the greatest way that the Lord has ever provided for his people is in this way. Just as the Lord sent the Israelites back out of the promised land saying, well, if you're not going to have faith to believe in me, that I can and will protect you in here, then it says the Lord was angry and he sent them away. Well, it's no different for us in our sin. If we refuse to repent, if we refuse to trust in the Lord alone, in Christ alone for our forgiveness, then the Lord's anger does remain on us, his wrath does remain on us, and that will be punished one day. So if you're here today and you're burdened by your sin, if you have seen 
recently or a long time ago a way that the Lord had called you into something and for lack of faith you refused to go where he had called you and you know that there's a barrier between you and the Lord because of that? Or if in any other circumstance the Lord has called you to act righteously and obediently, you know you haven't, then come to Christ. Come to Christ because he is a provision for you that is acceptable to God. Where the punishment for your sin ought to be dealt with by God and taken and eternally punished, God sent his son Christ Jesus to die in your place as your provision so that you could be made righteous, so that you could be reconciled to him, so that your sin could be taken away. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is so kind and willing to cleanse you of your sin that just as he provided the Edomites from a distant land, the provision, so he has provided Christ from a distant land to provide for us in our sin. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. In the desert of a wandering soul, he offers us forgiveness and life. What does he give exactly? Nothing other than Christ himself and an eternal life with him forever to stay and remain. And he offers that to all. And if you struggle against your sin and fear that he would cast you out because you look upon Christ, the perfection and the glorious one, and you see the evil in your own heart, well, take heart in this, that salvation belongs to the Lord and it's not up to you to keep yourself in there. It's not like there's this line of righteousness that we have to maintain across our lives and if we fall short of that, suddenly we're out of the kingdom. Salvation belongs to the Lord and so just as he has called you and granted you repentance, so he will also call you and keep you and protect you in the salvation which he's given. 2 Timothy 1 Paul has such a confidence. He says, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He is able to guard it. Paul's faith and trust that his salvation is in Christ alone is not, is not in himself. He doesn't say, I am convinced that I'm strong enough to keep myself in the faith. Thank goodness for that. Here's another in Ephesians chapter 1. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the Spirit. That's not going away. He is the guarantee of your inheritance, eternal life with God. And what is eternal life other than to know God, to dwell with him forever, which Christ says we have been given if we are in him now, present already, right now. This is not something that leaves. This is not something that is going away. And finally, the Lord not only provides and protects for us in our salvation as a once-off, 
but he continues to provide and protect for us, his chosen people, all throughout the wilderness wanderings and all throughout into the inheritance, the promised land that we are going towards. There's a lot of promises in, in, the, in the scriptures that we could consider. Matthew 6, 33 is a particularly clear one. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Paul says in Philippians, I'm confident the Lord is able to grant you everything that you need. Um, but just as the Lord gave the Israelites an example of another nation whom he had worked his protection and provision in, so I would love to give you an example as well. An example of a, a man who knew the day-to-day life of having Christ as his provider and his protector and how it changed his life. George Mueller was born in Germany on September 27, 1805. He lived for 92 years, dying in March 1898. George founded the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad, of which a major part was the orphanages that he established and served in. He built five orphan homes and over his life ministering in these orphan homes, he cared for 10,024 orphans over the 90 years that he was living. You can imagine that would have cost quite a bit. The incredible thing about this, about how he saw the Lord's provision in his life, is that he never once asked for a donation to support his ministry. He said this about the purpose of the orphan houses which he established. The first and primary object of the work was and still is that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayers still. He never went into debt. He never borrowed money from anyone, trusting and believing that God would either provide what he needed for his life and ministry, or he would wait for God's timing and provision. He didn't even request money from the places he worked for. In the last 68 years of his life, he never took a salary. Praying, and trusting that the Lord would put into people's hearts to give and that through them, the Lord would provide what he needed to live on. Neither he nor his orphans he cared for never went hungry. And in our currency, he raised millions of dollars, never asking for it, always praying for it and always seeing the Lord's provision through the generous hearts of the people who wanted to support it. Some have said, oh, George was only able to do that because he had the gift of faith. He had a special anointing on him. That doesn't apply to us. But George Mueller very clearly denied that. He said, all believers are called upon in the simple confidence of faith to cast 
all their burdens upon him, the Lord, to trust in him for everything and to not only make everything a subject of prayer, but to expect answers to their petitions, which they have asked according to his will and in the name of the Lord Jesus. All because he prayed and trusted that the Lord would provide for him and would protect him in it. Of course, protection didn't necessarily mean that he would never experience any trials. But he knew that the Lord would be with him even if he did. And, and his faith was very, very real. It, it was not just something that happened to work out because he saw all these funds coming in, because it happened to work um, favorably in that. Um, this is the same faith that sustained him as he watched his first wife, Mary, pass away. He was married to Mary for 39 years, and she died when she was 57. Of course, he lived to be 92. This is what he wrote shortly after she died. The last portion of scripture which I read to my precious wife was this. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. In Psalm 84. I said to myself with regard to the latter part, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I am in myself a poor, worthless sinner, but I have been saved by the blood of Christ. And I do not live in sin. I walk uprightly before God. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God, and all this springs, as I have often said before, from taking God at his word, believing what he says is true. This was a man who really trusted the Lord would provide for him and protect him until his last days, and the Lord did. As the Israelites were coming out of the wilderness into the promised land, the Lord promised to provide for him, and he did. The Lord promised to protect him, and he did. As the Lord sustained George Mueller, he promised to provide and protect for him, and he did. And it is the same for us now. We can call on the Lord with all of our burdens, all of the things we're seeking provision, and we can trust him because he's good, he's faithful, and he will be true to his word. In Christ, our Lord provides all that we need. He will protect us and keep us in him forevermore. And that means that we can have the same hope that Paul did in the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4. That the Lord will rescue us from every evil deed and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you that uh, you have given us wonderful, wonderful promises in your word. Thank you that we can know that you will provide for us and protect us forever because you who we did not withhold your own son, how would you with not give every, anything else that we need? Lord, we thank you that we have this wonderful promise. Thank you that we have forgiveness in Christ as we've called on you.
and thank you that as a uh, we can look to you as our loving and gracious Father for anything and everything we need and trust that what you give, you give because we need it for your name's sake and that you will withhold that which we don't need for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.